The prophet Isaiah is convinced that the Assyrians, the instruments of God's punishment, will overthrow not only Samaria, but Jerusalem. As a state, Judah will be destroyed. That's from the article entitled Remnant in the Dictionary of the Apostolic Church, page 315. Another quotation, the very earliest messianic prophecies of the Old Testament represent the golden age, the millennium, which is the first stage of the worldwide kingdom of God, as preceded by a time of conflict, the conflict which will destroy the particular oppression of Israel at that time and wipe out the ungodly in Israel itself. The power to be overcome is in each case an actually existing empire, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, whose downfall will immediately usher in the glorious reign of peace. Compare with that 2 Thessalonians, which speaks of the return of Christ and the killing of the Antichrist. In history, Assyria never defeated Judah and Jerusalem. The Golden Age has never yet followed the defeat of Assyria. Micah 5 verse 6 states that the armies of the Messiah will waste the land of Assyria. The important fact to maintain in the still unfulfilled Micah passage is that whatever be the particular weapons, there will be a conflict at the time and place identified and with the results that are indicated. It's a quotation from Barton Payne in his Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, page 81. Barton Payne goes on as follows. A.B. Davidson grants that the scriptures represented the Assyrian as existing in the time of the Messiah. But Davidson goes on to say that and I quote, we must distinguish between the general idea and the particular form not now likely to be realized. What then is the effect of this on the truthfulness of scriptures? Davidson is forced to say, it makes scriptures share in the imperfection of the dispensation to which they belonged. These quotations sum up the conflict over prophecy, which has often prevented the simple prediction of the prophets from being heard. In some circles, the devastating effects of so-called criticism mean that anyone who thinks the Bible predicts anything is suspect. Barton Payne, however, is among those conservative scholars who admit that Assyria is to be on the scene when Jesus returns. Davidson also admits that this is so. He then circumvents the information by saying that we cannot expect the prophecy to be fulfilled as the prophets say. He believes that the prophets wrote imperfectly. But should believers in the inspiration of Scripture accept such a so-called low view of the words of the prophets of Israel? This writer and in my case, this reader, agrees with Barton Payne 
that the New Testament, along with the Old, speaks of an eschatological military campaign in the same area east of the Euphrates River, as in Revelation 16, verse 12. It would appear best to recognize that while the particular people, the Sargonid dynasty of the 8th to 7th century BC, has come to an end, the land still remains. And it is the land, that's to say of Assyria, which will experience precisely the events which Scripture forecasts in its regard. That's a quotation from the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, page 81. The Messiah and the Assyrian. What information does Micah convey to us in Micah 5, verse 5 and following? This one, the Messiah, see verse 2, will be our peace when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men, and they will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And thus he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory, then the remnant of Jacob will be among the peoples like dew from the Lord. It would be hard to imagine a more obviously messianic end-time prophecy than this. We surely must agree with Barton Payne, who says, Such a messianic deliverance has never been accomplished in the past. It is indeed a still unfulfilled passage. In Numbers chapter 24, verses 23 and 24, we read that ships from the coast of Kittim will afflict Assyria and Eber. This prophecy is elaborated in Daniel 11, verse 30. So says Barton Payne in his Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, page 204. Assyria, he says, represents the Mesopotamian power. In Ezra 6.22, the king of Assyria designates the king of Persia. It is important to remember that Rome was not a Mesopotamian power, its main geographical theater being Europe, not Western Asia. Prophecy focuses on the so-called northern Mesopotamian power. The Assyrian connection between Isaiah and 2 Thessalonians. The Assyrian power of the end receives full treatment in Isaiah through the description of his destruction in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4. He appears again in Paul's New Testament picture of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Paul quotes directly from Isaiah 11, verse 4, when describing the destruction of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. The lawless one will be at once revealed. Then the Lord Jesus will come in all his splendor. He will breathe upon him and destroy him and take away all his power. 
The coming of the lawless one will be accomplished through the power of Satan. Paul has in mind the Assyrian material presented by Isaiah. In this evil one, he sees the final anti-Christian figure. Note the words, slay the evil one in the Septuagint of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. The Assyrian in Isaiah. Let us look first at the Isianic material on Assyria. It is fully granted, of course, that the Assyrian attacked Judah in 701 BC. His army was supernaturally dealt with. 185,000 died at the hands of an angel, and the king escaped to Nineveh, where 20 years later he was murdered by his two sons. Isaiah 37, verses 36 to 38. Can we say that this is the end of the story of the Assyrian? Several passages make us think not. In Isaiah 11, verse 4, the king of Assyria is to be punished in a way hardly compatible with the demise of the historical king of Assyria. We pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16. Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send a wasting disease among his, that's to say the Assyrians, stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame and the light of Israel will become a fire, and his Holy One, the Messiah, a flame, and it or he will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. Now it will come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and those who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, as to say Assyria in verse 5, but will truly rely on the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness. For a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. Therefore, my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian who strikes you with the rod and lifts up his staff against you, the way Egypt did. For in a very little while my indignation against you will be directed to their destruction. That's a quotation from Isaiah, chapter 10, verses 16 to 25. The same Assyrian is then described as approaching Jerusalem from the north. Isaiah, chapter 10, verses 28 to 32. Commentators are found in some embarrassment explaining why Isaiah's geographical sense was so poor. The historical attack by Assyria in 701 BC, was not from the north, but from Lachish, southwest of Jerusalem. Isaiah 36, verse 2. 
The historical attack by Assyria in 701 BC was not from the north, but from Lachish, southwest of Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 36 verse 2. According to Isaiah chapter 10 verse 32, the Assyrian will, and I quote, shake his fist at the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Then, in chapter 11, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A clear millennial scene follows, initiated by the destruction of the Assyrian, when, and I quote again, he, the Messiah, will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked one, the Hebrew word Rasha, and the Septuagint, Asevi, wicked one, singular. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, quoted in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Compare with that the masculine participle in Mark 13, verse 14, designating a single individual, the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to stand. See the Greek original there and compare the New English Bible usurping a place which is not his. Also, Weymouth translation, standing where he ought not to. Connections with Daniel and 2 Thessalonians. Remarkably, Paul cites this Assyrian text from Isaiah when he describes the death of the Antichrist at the hands of the returning Messiah. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. It's difficult to resist the conclusion that Paul saw in the evil Assyrian of Isaiah chapters 10 to 11, the final anti-Christian tyrant. We have no difficulty in recognizing Paul's quotation of Isaiah chapter 10 verses 22 and 23 in Romans chapter 9 verse 27 and 28 the remnant will return. We see this as a prophecy of the future restoration of Israel. There's no good reason to overlook his quotation of the destruction of the Assyrian as the destruction of the eschatological Antichrist. The, what we might call, 114-228 connection, that's to say Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, deserves careful examination. The secret of much good Bible study is discovering the links between the Old and New Testaments. Most mistakes occur when the connections are broken, especially when the Old Testament is neglected. Much of the traditional Christian orthodoxy is based on a Greek philosophical reading of the New Testament severed from the old. But when Jesus explained the Bible, he, and I quote, began with Moses and with all the prophets, expanding the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 27. Another remarkable fact emerges from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 23. 
I quote, a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord will execute. This prediction is almost word for word identical with an end time statement in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27b, where the abomination of desolation, identified as a he in Mark 13, verse 14, as we saw in the New English Bible, the Weymouth Translation and the Good News Bible, the abomination of desolation will cause desolation until, and I quote, a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the desolator. The destruction of the Assyrian, which Paul sees as the destruction of the Antichrist, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, is seen by Daniel as the destruction of the final desolator. Can we seriously doubt, then, that the Assyrian is active in the punishment of Israel just before the Messiah intervenes, and that he will be supernaturally destroyed by fire in messianic times? The Assyrian is the final beast and king of the north. Since Paul takes his Antichrist data from the Assyrian material in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, as well as from Daniel 11, verse 36, it is reasonable to conclude that the final beast is not only the Assyrian, but the king of the north of Daniel 11, verse 21 and following. Of the Antichrist, Paul says, he will exalt himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. This is a direct citation of Daniel 11 verse 36. It's hardly surprising to find Jesus elaborating his end-time prophecy in Matthew 24 by working from the same text plot, that's to say Daniel chapter 11. It has been, in my view, a serious weakness of prophetic study to overlook the directed link authorized by Jesus himself between Matthew 24 verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, and Daniel 11, verse 31, they will set up the abomination of desolation. Commentators seem to be determined to find an abomination of desolation other than the one to which Jesus directs us in Daniel 11, verse 31, where a final king of the north terrorizes God's people and Jerusalem. Jesus is our infallible commentator, and he sees in Daniel 11, verse 31, with the additional chronological information of Daniel 12, verse 11, the abomination which will trigger the great tribulation, Matthew 24, verses 15 to 21. Daniel 11, verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11, locks us into a terrible period of 1290 days, 
or its approximate equivalent of three and a half times, which in Daniel appears to mean three and a half years, this being half as long as Nebuchadnezzar's seven-year madness, as described in Daniel 4, verse 16, 25, and 32. By synthesizing this data, we may safely say that the Assyrian, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, equivalent to 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and Daniel 11, verse 36, equivalent to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, will go on the rampage for three and a half years just before the return of Christ. Additional evidence from the prophets. It will not be surprising then that Micah promises deliverance from the Assyrian through the Messiah at his coming. Micah 5 verse 5 and that Zechariah predicts that God will bring back his people from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria and the pride of Assyria will be brought down. That's a quotation from Zechariah chapter 10 verses 10 and 11. This prediction was uttered in 520 BC but the ancient Assyrian Empire had fallen in 612 BC, a hundred years earlier. Its fulfillment must therefore lie in the future. A similar prediction about the fate of Assyria is found in Zephaniah 2 verse 13, but its messianic context suggests an eschatological fulfillment. Moreover, it is parallel to the prophecy in Zechariah, which has never been fulfilled. Zephaniah equates the north with the area belonging to Assyria. Parallel also to the data we have collected so far is the remarkable prophecy in Zechariah chapter 5, verses 8 to 11, where wickedness, the Greek word anomia, compare man of wickedness in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 8, is sent back to Babylon and set on her own pedestal. That's in Zechariah chapter 5, verse 11. This forecast of Babylon active at the end time is confirmed by the reference in Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 to 13, to the river Euphrates, in connection with the kingdom of the beast. There's an obvious parallel between the plagues which ravaged Pharaoh's Egypt and those which strike the beast's kingdom at Babylon on the Euphrates, Revelation chapter 16. It should also be remembered that the prophecies of Babylon never being inhabited again have not yet been fulfilled in the way demanded by Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51 and so on. This might also be the moment to question the commonly held view that the seven hill city of Revelation 17 verse 9 is really Rome. The mountains are defined as seven rulers in verse 10. Similarly, the waters where the harlot sits in verse 15, are not to be taken literally, but are symbolic. So we are told, 
of multitudes and nations and tongues. In verse 15, Daniel the prophet. Daniel 11 similarly describes the king of the north at war with the king of the south until the king of the north finally places the abomination of desolation in the temple. That's in Daniel 11 verse 31. I submit that Jesus understood Daniel 11 verse 31 against many commentators to be an event of the future in messianic times. Matthew 24 verses 15 to 31. And Paul found the same Antichrist in Daniel 11 verse 36. The king of the north of that verse is the king whose wicked career begins in Daniel 11 verse 21. In Daniel 11 verse 40 we find that at the time of the end the king of the south will collide with him, as to say the king of the north, the only antecedent of verses 36 to 39, and the king of the north, so described to avoid the ambiguous he, which might refer to the king of the south, that king of the north will storm against him, the king of the south. The same wicked king of the north comes to his end in Daniel 11, verse 45, as does the wicked prince of Daniel 9, verse 26. Neither reference can be to Titus in AD 70. Titus died naturally, and he was not king of the north. Moreover, the final king of the north meets his death at the time of the great tribulation and the resurrection. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. A quite specific piece of time information tells us that from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, in Daniel 11, verse 31, there will be 1290 days, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And the abomination was set up by the wicked king of the north, who does away with the daily sacrifice and desecrates the sanctuary, in Daniel 11, verse 31. The whole picture seems coherent when all the facts are gathered and the all-important Assyrian material is not omitted. Crucially important are Jesus' instructions for understanding the abomination to which Daniel had referred. We follow Daniel by finding that abomination in Daniel 9 verse 27 and also in Daniel 11 verse 31 and Daniel 12 verse 11. Both Francis Burnett and Roy Johnson as well as expositors outside the Church of God Abrahamic faith have published material on the Assyrian Antichrist. Francis Burnett dealt with the kings of the North and South at the Ministers' Conference of January the 28th, 1960, and Roy Johnson published several articles on the subject, notably Prophecy for Today in the Restitution Herald of May the 24th, 1949, and an article entitled The Latter Days 
in the Restitution Herald of September the 7th, 1954. Johnson summed up his findings as follows. Thus will be born a super world government, a composite of Babylon, Persia and Greece, ruling the whole earth. Truly a diverse beast called Babylon, being located on the Euphrates River, according to Revelation 9 verse 14. This ruler will be called the Assyrian, because this ruler of Babylon, like Nebuchadnezzar of old, is Assyrian by birth. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 5, Isaiah chapter 10 verse 5 and verse 25, Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 23 and 47, and Micah 5 verse 5 confirm the fact that the super world government will be located on the Euphrates and will be ruled over by a man of Assyrian birth. The beast will have authority over the human race for 42 months and will spend his time making war with the saints. Conclusion We have dealt with a fraction of the biblical material relating to the great end-time tyrant. The books of Nahum and Habakkuk contain references to an end-time Babylonian Assyrian tyrant also. The sheer volume of the biblical data suggests that the subject is of utmost importance. We should remember that during the awful reign of the Antichrist, those who have insight will give understanding to many. Daniel 11 verse 33 Compare with that Daniel 12, verse 3, and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, where knowledge is indispensable for making righteous the many. May Bible expositors play their vital role in giving insight in every area of Christian teaching, including the important area of prophecy to the many now and to many more in those terrible times which lie ahead. Our struggles to proclaim the truth in the present evil age will be rewarded when we receive our rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 And when the Assyrian Antichrist will be eliminated by the brightness of Messiah's glorious advent. Prophecy is part of the every word by which man is to live. Its place in the doctrinal system of the church can serve as a stimulus to holy living now in preparation for entrance into the kingdom of the age to come when the Messiah returns in glory. The chronology of such predictions is not given in Scripture, and any application to contemporary events is speculative only. At least one can say that the political shape of the Middle East in 2001 makes possible fulfillment a reality. 
Who would have believed until recently that a small cadre of Middle Eastern origin could have so profoundly shaken the West? Appendix Views from the Church Fathers It is interesting to note that the distinguished premillennialist Theodor Zahn, around 1900, states that the final evil ruler in Revelation, much of which is based on Daniel, is, and I quote, without question derived from the Greco-Macedonian kingdom and its typical pre-Christian antichrist Antiochus Epiphanes. That's from Sahn's Introduction to the New Testament, volume 3, page 441. In Daniel 11 and 12, it seems clear that Antiochus is a type or prefiguration of the yet future tyrant. Antiochus was a Syrian king. A Latin church father, Lactantius, around 250 to 330 AD, clearly expected the beast or Antichrist to arise in Syria. I quote, another king shall arise out of Syria, born from an evil spirit, and he will constitute and call himself God, and will order himself to be worshipped as the Son of God, and power will be given him to do signs and wonders. Then he will attempt to destroy the temple of God, and persecute the righteous people, and there will be distress and tribulation such as there never has been since the beginning of the world. That's a quotation from Lactantius's Divine Institutes, Book 7, Chapter 17. In Chapter 16, Lactantius speaks of the tyrant arising from the extreme boundaries of the northern region. Another anti Nicene father, Victorinus, around 280 AD, refers Micah 5, verse 5, to the Antichrist. There shall be peace for our land, and they shall encircle Ashur, or Assyria, that is, Antichrist, in the trench of Nimrod. That's from Victorinus's commentary on the Apocalypse, chapter 7. Assyria is the approximate equivalent of modern Iraq. Victorinus also speaks of Babylon as the Roman state. It is not always recognized that the 70th week of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, is taken by Jesus to be a period just before his return. Jesus places the abomination shortly before his second coming. Matthew 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 29 says that immediately after the tribulation initiated by the abomination, he will come back in power and glory. This fact is crucial to a fair reading of prophecy. Daniel expects the abomination to appear in the 70th so-called week or heptad of Daniel 9, verse 27. Jesus expects the abomination, and therefore the 70th week, just before his future return. 
that the 70th week, or heptad, was future and close to the end of the age was understood in 243 AD by Hippolytus in his book De Pasca Computus. This fact is noted in the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics, Volume 3, page 606. I quote, The one week, or heptad, of Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, is taken off as belonging to the eschatological period in the future. Irenaeus also expected a three-and-a-half-year tribulation and a rebuilt temple. You'll find that in his book, Against Heresies, Book 5, Chapters 25 and 26. I quote, For three-and-a-half years, during which time, when he, the Antichrist, comes, he will reign over the earth. Irenaeus sees the Antichrist, not just Antiochus Epiphanes, in the eighth chapter of Daniel, and quotes Daniel 9, verse 27, as a prophecy of the final reign of the Antichrist for three years and six months. The 70th week of Daniel 9 was seen as future and close up to the second coming by the earliest church fathers who wrote in detail on prophecy. Montgomery, in his International Critical Commentary on Daniel, page 394, notes that this so-called apocalyptic reading of the last period of seven years is the one found in the Gospels, and it is adopted by Irenaeus and Hippolytus. Commodianus refers to a future and final Antichrist in these words. Isaiah said, This is the man who moves the world and so many kings, and under whom the land will become a desert. Then doubtless the world will be finished, when he appears. He himself will divide the globe into three ruling powers. When, however, Nero will be raised up from hell, Elijah will first come to seal the beloved ones, at which things the region of Africa, does he mean they're the king of the south, I wonder, and the northern nations, king of the north, the whole earth, on all sides, will tremble for seven years. But Elijah will occupy half of the time and Nero the other half. As you saw earlier, I disagree that Nero is in the picture because he did not die in the final troubles of AD 70. Then the whole Babylon, being reduced to ashes, its embers will then advance to Jerusalem, and the Latin conqueror will then say, I am Christ, whom you always pray to. And indeed the original ones who were deceived combined to praise him. He does many wonders, since he is the false prophet, especially that they may believe him, his image will speak. The Almighty has given it power to appear such. The Jews, recapitulating scriptures from him, exclaim at the same time to the highest 
that they've been deceived. Moreover, when the tyrant will dash himself against the army of God, his soldiery are overthrown by the celestial terror. The false prophet himself is seized with the wicked one by the decrees of the Lord. They are handed over alive to Gehenna. That's from Commodianus's instructions, chapters 41 and 42. I note that there's another remarkable prophecy of Assyria in Psalm 83, verse 8. A confederation of ten Middle Eastern nations are here attacking Israel. Commentators have not identified this block of nations in history. The conspiring together with one mind reminds us of the ten kings of Revelation 17, verses 12 to 14, who have one purpose, ten nations, and they give their allegiance to the beast and wage war with the Lamb at his coming. Other notes? Kyle cites the following point in his commentary on Daniel. Isaiah spoke of the approaching assault of the Assyrians as of the last affliction of the city. Similarly, Daniel speaks of the activity of the king of the north as the final oppression of Israel just before the resurrection of the dead. Daniel 11, verses 21 to Daniel 12, verse 3. Another quotation from Kyle, commentary on Daniel, page 278. The reference of the mountains to the seven hills of Rome is to be rejected because it's difficult to understand how the heads can represent at one and the same time both mountains and kings. Mountains are, according to the prophetic view, symbols of world government. As we find also in Psalm 68 verse 17, Psalm 76 verse 5, Jeremiah 15 verse 25, and Ezekiel 15 verse 2. Finally, other information is found in the writings of the Oxford scholar B.W. Newton in his book, Babylon, Its Future History and Doom, published in 1890.